just want to be the first to apologize that you have to see me two Sundays in a row. I know that's not common, and it's feeling a little bit like Groundhog Day, which I just now realized my parents, I guess, did not have standards about what I was allowed to watch as a child. I'm pretty sure I watched that movie whenever I was a young child, and I was reflecting on some of the things in that movie and thinking, like, eh, that's not good. Uh, my dad's not here, so it doesn't really matter. He's not going to ever hear this. Um, so I guess I might as well get off some of my some other stuff from my chest as well about less. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, so uh, my name is Garrett Davis. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I also did the welcome. I don't have a twin brother, um, and I uh, I'm excited to get to talk to you today. And the reason that I'm I'm, I'm pinch hitting this week is because Kale. Uh, is obviously still in Houston. And for those of you guys that don't know, uh, they've been told that they have to stay there until the babies are born. Um, and so that's a, that's a long, uh, a long, probably very difficult uh, thing to have to accept. And then also on top of that, the, I think it was the day that they left to go do that, or maybe the day after, their house got hit by whatever that huge storm was, the tornado or windstorm. And it, I mean, it folded their fence. <laughs> like, I mean, like if you saw pictures of it, it was just folded over. Uh, it didn't even break. The metal didn't break. It just blew it over. Um, and they had some damage to their house and stuff. But I get to tell a really cool story of generosity starting off today because uh, today we're going to be doing the, uh, the, the, the part of seeing Jesus about his generosity. So uh, I, I got to tell a group of my friends about this uh, happening with, with Jamie and Kale. And because I, I was mostly just trying to find them a place to stay down in Houston, uh, that we, maybe we could get them a, a place to stay for cheap, because I, I know some of my friends maybe own houses down there, or have f- friends down there, that kind of stuff, and uh, I, I texted them this, and five minutes later, one of my friends was like, hey, I want to pay for all of their living expenses while they're there, till October or whatever, and I was like, did you say all of their living expenses? He's like, yeah, like, you think 5000 would cover it? And I'm like, I think probably, yeah, I think that would probably cover it, and then he goes, he goes, you know, let's make it 10000 just to be safe. Let's make it 10000 to be safe. And I was like, dude, that's going to be such a blessing to them because their house also just got damaged in a storm. And he goes, what? How much was the deductible? <laughs> and I was like, no, man, save some for the rest of us. <laughs> and he actually said, no, I will not. Tell me what that deductible is. I want to know within the hour. And I was like, golly. So I told him, and then he decided to cover that as well. This is, a, this is a, a person that does not even know Jamie Ann and Kale in any way, shape, or form. Talk about generous. Like, man, I want a heart like that dude's for sure. He'll never hear this sermon because he's not in this church. But that's just such a cool, and he wouldn't like that either if I told you about it. You don't know who he is, but he wouldn't even like the idea of an anonymous version of the story going out. Okay? Well, he didn't text the group of guys saying, I'll help with all this money. He texted me individually, <laughs> you know? Uh, he did not let his left hand know what his right hand was doing. What a cool example of, of generosity that I hope to one day attain to. You know, thinking about this, this sermon uh, around the generosity of God, it really is a, 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 I get to, there are sermons that are difficult to give because they're kind of hard. Like last week's sermon, like talking about humility, I'm like, geez, man, like that's hard. It's just hard to think about how tricky pride is and how hard humility can be and how difficult it is to attain to a humble lifestyle, a humble mindset, a humble heart. And this week, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like I get to preach from this place of joy of like getting to brag about my dad, like how good 
of a dad that he is. And that's kind of what I, what I, I, I get to the, the, the impression of as I think about the generosity of God. And I think about recognizing this characteristic of God as being so essential to being in right relationship with God. Because if we think God is a miser, if we think God is stingy, we're going to have a very different relationship with him than if we know our God to be extremely generous. And in many ways, what we think he's like is going to dictate how we choose to engage with him. It's called a self-fulfilling prophecy for those of us in the social sciences. What you believe to be true will become true because that's the way you interact with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so that's kind of the idea here. So if we think God is really stingy, we're not going to ask him for much. If we think he only provides for our basic needs, I laugh sometimes whenever people read that verse in Matthews, and they're like, in, in Matthews, in the Matthews, uh, <laughs> in the Gospel of Matthew, and they're like, you know, surely he's going to provide for our food and our clothing and our shelter and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, but he's provided like a billion times more than that to you and to me. As if God is only interested in meeting our most basic of needs. You know what I mean? I've got clothes on. Like, really? Do you have more than that pair of, of pants? It's like, do you have more shirts than that? Do you have a closet? Did you buy a house with a master closet thinking about its size? Okay, then we're on a different plane of existence, clearly. All right? God provides more than just our basic needs. If he didn't, that would be fair enough. But he does provide more than that. There's a real danger in thinking that God is stingy. Uh, and there's a real benefit to knowing that God is generous. Knowing that God loves to give good gifts. That he, with a full heart, is so joyous when he gets to give those gifts. And it's, and, and it's, it's going to impact us if we think that. Because then we might begin to ask, not demand, but ask God for bigger things. And the scripture is really filled with examples of this, if you think about it, um, of people asking for big and pretty unnecessary uh, things. And I don't mean things like a thousand head of cattle and like 50 concubines and things like that. Like, no, that's not exactly what scripture is filled with. It is filled with people asking for big things of God and God happily saying yes. In James, he references Elijah praying that God, speaking of Ganster, praying that God would hold off the rain for a few years. And God saying, yep. And then uh, Elijah praying that God would open the heavens again and then it pouring rain. Just because one man prayed for it, that he would do that for, for the, the, the weather. Like, you can't control the weather. Like, what are you talking about? With your prayers? No. What about Solomon asking for wisdom and being given more? Remember that? When Solomon... Is he's, he says, I just want wisdom. And God's like, because you asked for that, I'm going to give you that. And what about like tons of wealth? Now, don't worry, I'm not Joel Osteen. The donut shop that I, that I buy donuts from, I only eat donuts on Sunday mornings. I don't know what it is. I, well, actually, I do. When I was growing up, again, I'm going to call my parents, uh, my parents into questionable parenting techniques. Um, growing up on every Sunday, we would go to Shipley Donuts. You know that one that's down here uh, off of like Jupiter, I think it is, or Avenue K, I can't remember. And we would eat, we would get donuts and then go to church. I still haven't kicked that. I don't know what it is. I pretty much don't even eat breakfast most days of the week. But on Sundays, I'm gonna go eat a bunch of donuts. Like my body's ready for it. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, this is what's going to happen. 
And every time I go in, they always got Joel Osteen on the, on the, <laughs> the screen preaching. Today, he preached. I don't even want to get into it. Anyway, so <laughs> off topic, bring it back together. Okay, got it. All right. Back on track. I'm not Joel Osteen. I don't think God wants to just provide you with a lot of wealth. But guess what? He might. And if he does, do what my friend did. <laughs> Give that much money to Jamie Ann and Kale. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, look for ways to actually get to give it away. You know, thinking about like Moses holding off on destroying the Israelites. Like God was going to do that. He was not tricking Moses. Do you know what I mean? Like he wasn't like, I guess I'm going to do this. And then Moses is like, no, stop. And he's like, good job. Like God had every right to destroy the Israelites. They had completely abandoned him. They were already in trouble. And then they decided to double down on it and worship a golden calf. And Moses basically fends him off and says, like, just don't do it. What about your namesake? What about all these people? That kind of stuff? He changes God's mind. Amidst it. He asks God for something huge. What about Samson? Even though Samson was a pretty questionable guy in the, <laughs> the book of Judges, for sure. Samson is, is caught by the Philistines. He's been trapped by Delilah. And as he's standing there, he just asks God, like, God, give me some extra strength just this one time to pull down these pillars and destroy these Philistines. And God's like, yep, you got it. <laughs> Man, like, what is happening? What about as the, 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 the climax of all this stuff? What about all of the times people come to Jesus and ask him for crazy stuff? Right? Jesus, would you, I've never been able to see, would you heal me and give me sight? Jesus, I've never been able to walk. Would you heal me and make me walk? Jesus, my hand has always been messed up and shriveled. Would you fix it and heal it and make it whole? Would you raise my daughter from the dead? Like nobody, like what are you talking about? Those people though, I want you to ask yourself a question. Would those people have experienced it if they didn't ask for it? The answer is no. Okay. On the flip side of that, The flip side of people asking big things of God and him saying, yep, is this parable of the talents. You guys are familiar with it, you know? God gives one guy ten talents. He gives another guy five talents. He gives another guy one talent. Guy with tens, like, doubles it, brings it back, says, here you go. Master says, good job. Same same thing with the guy with five. The guy with one comes back, and this is what he says. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And so I hid my talent in the ground. And here it is, back for you. Think about that. Why would he say that? But so, for so many of us, this is the way we conceive God. We know him to be a hard man. We know he doesn't oftentimes answer our big prayers. We know he's not really that interested in that. We know that most of the time, God just wants us to do his bidding he has, no, uh, he has no desire to listen to us. But the man's conception was wrong, and so his actions that followed were wrong. He hid the talent rather than go and make more of it. He misunderstood the nature and character of his master, and as a result, he acted in ignorance and sin. Obviously, there's some important nuances uh, to what kinds of things that God is interested in giving to us. Uh, so I think about... Um, uh, my kids, right? I'm not, as a, like, as a parent, think about this for a moment. As a parent, if I was like, hey, I only provide for my children's needs, 
That's all that I'm interested in. I give them water, not Coke. I give them food, just bread for the most part, and a little bit of protein. Um, and I make sure that they have a place to sleep at night. I'm only interested in providing for their needs. Good dad or bad dad? Interesting. Okay, I think we're all on the same page. You're like, yeah, what is a good dad? You know, what is it? That's a great question to ask, by the way, if you ever want to think about God. What's a good dad do, right? A really good dad. I mean, like, way better than you can imagine, right? So, it's not that God is only interested in providing for our needs, but he's also not that interested in providing for all the things that we want, okay? So, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Like, today, uh, when my son was like, and I don't know why he thinks I'm ever going to say yes, but he does. And I guess sometimes I do, to be fair. So he's like, can I have some candy? And I'm like, for what reason? It's the morning time. You've not even had anything to eat. And he's like, I just want it. And I'm like, wow, what a bold request. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) And I'm not mad at him for asking me. I'm more just like, wow, no, like I don't know. But then I guess every now and then he'll ask me for candy. And I'm like, you know, you are a really good dude. And I do like you a lot. Yeah, what's some candy going to hurt? And I give him that candy or a cookie. And this kid's memory is a steel trap. (laughs) Today he goes, hey, dad. And he literally said this to me. He was sitting on the island like coloring. And I was reading. And he goes, hey, dad, uh, do you remember two things? He says, one, the other day I gave June some of my money to buy ice cream, and you said, because I did a good thing, you would give me more money. And I was like, I did say that. And he goes, so there's that. (laughs) And the second thing, do you remember the other day when you were clipping your toenails, and you told me if I picked those up that you would give me money? And I was like, I do. (laughs) And he said, so where's that money? Guys, I'm just being vulnerable with you, okay? This is real life. And I said, I said, I said, you know what, man? I'm, I'm going to get you that money. And he goes, when? And I go, don't worry. Like, I'll, I'll get it to you in good time. Still haven't got it to him. It was just this morning, okay? So just give me some time. I don't carry cash around on me, all right? So I'm just thinking about the way that we interact with our kids and how there's plenty of times we give them something because they ask us for it. And it's not something that they need. It's something that we just like. We want to give that to them. We love them. We want to give that to them, right? We do that with our friends. We do that with our, our, our family. We do that with parents and kids. And all kinds of relationships imitate that, right? And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So do you think God is stingier than you? Really? That's a weird way to look at God. Why are we afraid to ask God for things? Why are we afraid to ask God for big things? I think most of the time, it's because we are afraid we won't get them. Have you ever heard that phrase? I know God can do this thing. I just don't think he'll do it for me. Do you know what I'm talking about? That old phrase? That is unfaithfulness. If you want to see what unfaithfulness as a phrase sounds like, that's what it sounds like. But why should not the the, the possibility of not getting something, why should that stop us? From asking. It clearly hasn't stopped my son from asking me. As a result, he gets more. It's not a rejection to not get something from God whenever you ask of it from him. It's not a rejection any more than it's a rejection for me to say, like, hey, that's not good for you right now, buddy. 
hey, that's not, this is not a good time. Maybe later I'll give it to you, okay? But oftentimes, for whatever reason, we have this real fragile relationship with God where we pretty much don't ask because we're afraid that he's going to say no to us. The scripture makes it really clear. You do not have because you do not ask. That's what Jesus says, right? And if you do ask, we've got to ask in a specific kind of way. And I want to suggest to you the way, the best way that we can ask, okay? The best way you can ask God for anything is the best way that you can approach God in prayer no matter what. It is surrendered and hopeful. Those two things in that order exactly is the way that you should ask God for whatever thing, whatever big thing that you want. Surrendered and hopeful. Surrendered because you know that whatever he says, it's good. God doesn't choose bad things. God only chooses good. He's the giver of good gifts, right? So, surrendered because we know that ultimately we're not God, and also we're not prescribing to God a manner or a timetable in which to give us that thing. So oftentimes, sometimes he said yes, but later, and we read that as no forever, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, and so we lose hope. And if you pray without hope, you do not pray in faith. To pray only from a place of being surrendered is almost like a place of resignation of, uh, well, either way, God, doesn't really matter. I know that you're going to do what you're going to do. I've had someone tell me that before, actually. Actually, numerous people have told me that before. I know God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, so why do I need to ask? I'm like, do you really think that? You really think that God's just going to do whatever he's going to do, no matter what it is that you say or do or ask of him? That's not true, you guys. That's not true. I want, if you've never heard the, the good news yet, that's not true about my God. My God will do things because you ask of him to do it, oftentimes. And the times where he does not, you can rest assured that dad knew best. And he knows exactly what it is that you need and what it is that's best for you. So you have to pray being surrendered and hopeful. God is very generous, and we must learn to see him as that and to pray like he is. So that being said, let's dive into the scriptures. There's two scriptures in this specific uh, study of seeing Jesus. It is uh, Mark 8, 1 through 8, and then Luke 21, 1 through 4. And we're going to look at both of those today. Again, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't even do what I did last week with the whole fake three points thing. Uh, I don't even have three points for you guys today. Uh, it's just we're going to let the scripture do the speaking. I'm going to make some comments on it. And then um, I'll hopefully let the word do its work. Because the word is obviously much more powerful than anything that I'd have to say. So Mark 8, 1 through 8. I'm going to read that to us. I'll be reading out of the NASB. In those days... When there was, again, a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus summoned his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me for three days already and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them will have come from a great distance. And his disciples replied to him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to recline on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them. 
and started giving them to his disciples to serve, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he, to- he told the disciples to serve these as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. I want you to be honest real quick with me. In your heart, one through ten, ten being you almost just gasped audibly, stood up out of your seat and said, what? As a surprise. And one being you just read uh, a user manual for a TI-83 calculator. (laughs) What did you feel when you read that story? Don't say the number, by the way. I want you to inwardly gauge yourself real quick. Jesus just fed 4,000 men and all of their families with seven pieces of bread and some small fish. I want to make sure that you understood that that's what they said there too. It made it really clear. These weren't huge fish, okay? He just fed all of those people. If you were not amazed, why? Is it because you've read it a lot? Have you convinced yourself that's what it is? Is it because you've read it a lot? Is it because that's pretty good as a miracle? Like, pretty good? Like, being in the desert? Like, nowhere, no one's anywhere around? Uh, nothing to eat? And these people actually got themselves into a bit of a situation, didn't they? Because it had been three days, and they were going to be hungry. And I guess none of them thought that, like, we should probably have brought food or, like, how are we going to get the food or anything like that. And Jesus just does one of the most, like, like amazing miracles. He just feeds them. And there's also, by the way, talk about God's generosity. I mean, baskets to spare. What are they going to do with all that? Like, people, they had, did they have take-home containers that they could have used? The thing about it is, is that... If, if your reaction was uh, as like mine is, I think, initially in reading it, then you're in the same place as the disciples. Because Jesus had just done this before with, with 5,000 men. And his disciples similarly just kind of responded with, uh, like, cool. Like, rock on. Like, I guess everyone ate. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty good, Jesus. Good one. You know, not your best trick. But pretty good. We're going to dive into that in a second. Like, why? Like, why is that? Why do I feel that way about this thing? So not only is there enough in the desert here to feed all these people, but there's more than enough. And there's not just bread, but there's variety. There's meat as well. It's kind of taken from my school of thought about any good meal. There's got to be meat in there somewhere. Okay? So sorry uh, for those of you guys that don't feel the same way. I'm not actually sorry. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. <laughs> sorry, I just want to be, I want to be honest with you. Um, so the disciples had failed to realize what Jesus just did. They really did fail to realize it. They probably knew what just happened. Like they knew what happened, but they failed to realize. And what that reminds me of is that they had eyes, but not eyes that saw. You get the difference between that? They had ears, but not ears that actually heard. And this is, of course, quoting from Isaiah, quoting Jesus, quoting Isaiah. But there's this failure to realize what had just happened in both 
of those miracles. In fact, later, later Jesus follows it up. He's like, did you guys, did you guys see that? Like, you get the sense of Jesus being like, I kind of feel like maybe you missed that. Do you remember when I fed all these people with nothing? Like, did you, that, that, was that lost on you? And the answer is yes, it absolutely was. There's a sense that they were just concerned about getting people the food and they were oblivious to this powerful work that Jesus had done before their eyes. And it's supposed to remind you of something from Scripture. Now, where are my theologians in here? What's this supposed to remind you of? Manna, right? Which I always loved, and I love to say this too, the word manna is close to this Hebrew word, what is it? That's what the word manna means, is what is it? (laughs) They don't know. They're kind of like, this is food, but it's not bread. Like, everyone thinks it's bread. Like, like Jesus just kind of dropped loaves of bread from the sky, and they were like, thanks for the bread. Like, no, there was something weird about it. I don't know what it was, but do you remember when the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years because of their own lack of faithfulness and lack of trusting God, and God fed them by creating food from the ground, basically, okay? Now, what did they do? Were they like, you know what? We have been real jerks. And God is feeding us out of nothing. Like, how amazing is this? This is awesome. What did they actually do? They complained. (laughs) They were like, manna again? (laughs) You are eating food in the desert that is miraculously appearing. And you're like, mmm, it's not, doesn't have the greatest taste in the world. So God doesn't strike them dead, which I'm sure, like, I, every, if you would have, like, if we would read through the scripture, and if I was God, I'd be like, strike them dead there. Strike them dead there. Yep, that's, that's the last straw. Strike them dead. Oh yeah, for sure strike them dead. Like that would be one of those ones for sure. I'd be like, oh, you don't like the food? Fine, don't eat anything. Which is what I do with my kids sometimes. So instead, God gives them quail. Quail just kind of like come out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And they just flood into the Israelite camp. Okay? Which by the way, they also complain about. Okay? Just making sure that we're all on the same page. What in the world is wrong with us? Because we're not talking about them. We're talking about a human problem here. This is a, this is a human problem. And it is, a, it is a unique failure to see reality the way that God has actually shaped it. It's a unique failure. It makes me wonder about the comments that maybe some of the people that were fed by Jesus were saying as they, as they uh, experience this miracle. Because they're not necessarily seeing Jesus. If there's that many of them, they're not watching Jesus like take pieces of an, in, like a clown scarf with uh, endless pieces of bread. You know what I mean? They're not seeing it. They just have the food coming to them. It makes me wonder what they were saying, right? Were they like, man, the bread is okay. It's all right, you know, it's not great, it's not hot. What about the fish? Was it a little overcooked, right? What was going on there with that? Was it raw? Ooh, gross. Did it taste even pretty good? Or maybe they complained about the portion size or whatever, right? The perspective we normally take, unfortunately, 
assumes that much of the good things that we enjoy are A, either a matter of our own production of those things, or B, them happening naturally, which I love that one. I love that phrase, right? It just kind of happened naturally. Like the sunset happened naturally. Nature does not have a personality and is not an actual thing you know, right? That is a pagan viewpoint. There is no God of nature in that sense. Like mother nature is not a thing. God is the only one who sustains every moment of every second of every piece of the cosmos all day, every day. Your breath that you're breathing right now, if, if God somehow disappeared, you would disappear. There's nothing that he has set in motion as if he created it and then like let it go on its own, as naturalists would have you believe. That's not a biblical perspective. Things exist by the very word of God's mouth. They happen because he exists and you are sustained. Every atom in you, every molecule in you is sustained by a good, loving creator who is giving you the gift of breath, one breath after another. The fact you can feel or hear or think or see or smell or touch, all these things are tremendous gifts of a good God. And my gut tells me that if you didn't have that gift, you'd be keenly aware of how much it was missing. But every good gift comes from God. The job you have, the sunset you see, the health you experience, the wonder of air conditioning. Most people will say, well, God didn't invent air conditioning. God invented the person who invented air conditioning and they lived because of him. Okay, just making sure we're all on the same page about that. We are not humanists. We are also not naturalists. We are followers of God, the one true Yahweh. By his word and by his will are all things sustained. See, the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000 just extends this theme of Scripture of human complacency, of arrogant expectations, and of failure to acknowledge God's generous provision. If you want to know whether you conceive of God as being generous, you have only to determine how thankful that you are on a regular basis. If you are not thankful on a regular basis, you do not conceive of a generous God. You do not wake up thankful if you do not spend your days thanking God for all the things that he's given to you. The things that you do not deserve, yes, the things that you take for granted. Arrogant expectation of your next breath. Of course, I, should, I deserve to take my next breath. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to have comfort. I deserve this air conditioning. And if there was no air conditioning in this building, I would not be here because I deserve it. That is flawed human thinking at its finest. It is the same thinking that says, manna, come on, where's the meat? Same thinking. Thankfulness is the closest indicator of someone's conception of God's generosity that I can think of because a thankful person knows just how much God provides for them every single second of every day. A thankful person would have seen Jesus breaking the bread and giving fish and would have eaten it in astonishment. Getting full on the fish 
and the bread in the middle of nowhere and praising Jesus for the gift. But that is a rare person indeed. Someone who amidst all of their hardship and trial recognizes God's generous provision all the way throughout. But when you look at Jesus and you look at Paul and you look at these people that we, that we look to as in the faith as being giants of the faith, what you see is amidst their worst circumstances, they all are assenting to the goodness and the provision of God and they are thankful. When you read, go read Philippians. Paul sounds like he's on cloud nine and just won the lottery. He is in fact in a Greek prison. <laughs> that is absurd. Okay, absurd. And it's not, here's the crazy thing. It's not because he does not have a view of reality. It's in fact that he actually sees reality. And the rest of us do not. We do not. So why do we fail to acknowledge the generosity of God? Perhaps it's flawed expectations. Maybe we just want things that won't really be good for us and others. Perhaps it's this inflated kind of self-deserving that we talked about. Maybe we think we're owed things, so we don't wonder at what we're actually given. We think it's kind of a baseline, right? But think about this. Has anyone ever been really sick for a good amount of time? And then you woke up one day and you felt like better. Were you like, yeah, about time. If you are, whoa, pray to God. (laughs) If not... You're like, yes, thank you, I can breathe again, or I don't have a full body rash, or I don't like, whatever it is, okay? You're super thankful about that. Did you wake up today feeling okay? Did you do the same thing? Why? What are you, what are you owed? What's owed, of, owed from God to you? Nothing. Here's what I think is the main reason that we fail to acknowledge the generosity of God. There's a word that that Jesus uses with his disciples where he says, and this was just a chapter before, he said, are you still so dull? That word dull is a Greek word that's used very specifically here, and it means lacking synthesis or failing to put facts together. And it describes a person failing to structure information in a meaningful way and therefore unable to reach a necessary conclusion. I think we fail to see God's generosity so often because we're dull. We're dull. We're not putting facts together. We've got one or two big bad things going on in our lives. Maybe sometimes it's five or ten. But what about the thousands of good things? I had a massive tumor in my leg when I was 21, like a huge like large cell bone tumor that was completely inside my tibia. It was a volume of a banana. Okay, so this is a big tumor and I had to get it operated on and they were like, they, they cut it open and they sucked out the stuff and they put in a bone graft and a plate and screws and then it got infected with MRSA. What? Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, dangerous form of staph, okay? They were like, guess what? We got to take that out. We got to take out the plate and screws. And then we got to leave your leg just open. And I'm sorry for the details, but I need you to know this was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> Okay, couldn't walk for like six months. This is in the height of the opioid epidemic. I was getting fed Oxycontin like it was just chewables. Like, I mean, like it was a bad time for sure in terms of the physical health. But get a load of this. My core, because I was a senior at UT Dallas, my core full of like 20-something guys, 
they, they were, they were, I had someone at my house every day hanging out with me. I was on staff with Focus at the time, my senior year as an intern. I was useless in that regard. And Brandon and, the, and the, this church staff decided to still pay me while I sat on my couch and couldn't do much of anything because I was just trying to get through the pain. I was in a great church community, had tons of people loving on me. I had health care, unlike so many people had. I had awesome health care that could take care of my needs in that, and I was fine. Now, the question is, what's the reality? Did I have a right to complain that I had that going on with me? Looking back on that, all I see is God's generous provision. Think about that for a moment. That's the reality. So oftentimes we're just enamored with our problems. We're enamored with just a few things that are really in our face. And even that thing, that thing might be your child and their waywardness. That thing might be your marriage and its flaws. That thing could be a health concern that you have or a a concern that you have about someone else's health. It could be so many different things. But would you see God's generous provision and trust him is the question. Whatever the reason, we're called to see the generosity of God, praise and thank Him for it, and we're invited to ask Him for big things and surrendered hopefulness. And finally, and this one will be pretty quick. You guys know I don't like to keep you long. Luke 21, 1-4. Now he looked up and saw the wealthy putting their gifts into the temple treasury, and he saw a poor widow putting in two lepta coins, and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow... Put in more than all of them, for they, have, they all contributed to the offering from their surplus, but she, from her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You know, now that we've, we've gotten to speak about the generosity of God, it would be wise to consider what Jesus teaches us about our own generosity. We first notice that Jesus, Jesus isn't interested in measuring things like humans do. He rather measures each human and each person according to themselves without comparing them to others which is the exact opposite of what we typically like to do. Then he says something that makes me extremely uncomfortable. Namely, he speaks of surplus and sacrifice. And it seems to me that Jesus is elevating the gifts of those whose gift cuts into their life above those whose gifts don't. That's the best phrase I could think to say. It's a gift that cuts into your life. It cuts into your comfort or it cuts into your checkbook or it, comes, it cuts into something and it creates an incision uh, that actually hurts quite a bit. This widow who had no one to take care of her in that society literally put in all of what she had to live on, all of it, into a temple treasury. That's super unwise spending. <laughs> she was not a good steward of her money there, was she? We love that phrase being good stewards of our money. Just like I shared earlier about Jack and his ice cream (laughs) and him sharing his ice cream, it's the difference between Jack with his $1 using it to buy Juniper, who's usually not extremely thankful, but she was in that moment. Him using his dollar to buy her an ice cream versus me using my money to buy my children an ice cream. Both really nice. But which one is exactly what we're talking about here? Speaking of, by the way, Jack told me this morning he's trying to save a lot of money so he can buy a motorcycle. <laughs> so just keep an eye on that. Please don't give my child any money. 
It reminds me of King David saying, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. So when we put those two verses together about Jesus, I'm struck by how different my character is from his. I'm happy to give from my surplus, but not really from what I consider my need. Consider in this how Jesus gave. Was it only from his surplus? Or was it actually from something quite different? Because his greatest gift to us was obviously not just his teachings or his wisdom or his healings. It was his very life. And that definitely cut into his life, for sure. We then, who call Jesus Lord, are left to consider how we might become generous as the widow and more, even generous like Christ. Will we give from our surplus? Good, we must. Will we give from our poverty? Good, we ought to. And will we give up, will we give up our very lives? Yes, we have to. So as we consider the incredible generosity of God, as we ask him big things and praise him for all the many gifts that he's given us daily, let us also consider how we may be generous to God and to people. To fail to do so is to squander the gifts that God has given us and the gift that God has given us. I'm going to finish with a prayer of Ignatius of Loyola, for those of you that uh, liked last week, which everyone apparently only heard that prayer last week, which is cool. I'm happy for that. Really good. So I just decided to give the people what they want. Pray with me. This prayer from Ignatius. Lord, teach me to be generous, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to look for any reward, save that of knowing that I do your holy will. Amen.